Hello and welcome to Three Books with Doi. I am your host, Doi Lemi Awolalu. My guest this week is Matilda. Matilda studied mechanical engineering at Carlton University, but now actively involved in the health and information technology sector. She is also one of the hosts of the Africalypso podcast, a bi-weekly podcast that discusses diverse topics concerning the African continent, sprinkled with some really good banter here and there. And now, here's my conversation with Matilda. Matilda, what's up? How are you doing? Hey, Dewey. I'm good. Um, I'm as good as you can possibly be in the middle of <laughs> coronavirus, but yeah, how are you? I'm very well. Been trying to set up this thing, and like, so it hasn't been been. So. <laughs> but yeah, we move as you always say, we move. We but, move. Um, how was your week anyway? Um, my week was actually good. I'm looking back on my <laughs> on my schedule now. It was good, but then really busy at work specifically. But then I think that the work is going to kind of reduce a little bit as like fall comes into play. And yeah, it's been pretty good. Honestly, I can't complain. Um, mm. I've had the chance to go on a hike. I went on a hike yesterday. Really? Uh, yeah. It was like a Where? two hour Where's hike. That? So it's this, um, it's called Gatineau Park. It's, um, here in close to Ottawa. Um, and it was Please, fun. Can you tell, can you tell, can you tell the listeners where, where you are at the moment so that oh. they can get, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So I'm in Canada right now and okay. I'm in Ottawa, the capital city. And, um, yeah, that's basically where I am. So you hiked for like two hours. Jesus. Yeah. With my friends. Well, within COVID limits, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> I always have to give that disclaimer just in case. <laughs> for the come and arrest me, you know. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. I had never actually gone for a hike for that long before, so it was actually a really good experience. Well, it's something you do regularly, like before Corona. Yeah, yeah. I'm an outdoors person generally, but mm, I wouldn't say mm. like I had gone f- that long because it was a trail, and it's like once you start the trail, you can't go away from it. So from it, yeah. <laughs> so fair enough. You did there, you died there. <laughs> so, so I mentioned in the introduction that you you have a podcast, the yeah, Calypso. Did I pronounce it well, Abed? Yeah, you actually did. I have a lot of people say Afrocalypso or no, Afrocalypso. I tried, I, tr- I tried, I tried my best not to call it Afrocalypso because that was that was what I was. I, was calling I think that's usually the Afro-Calypso. default for a lot of people. Yeah. Maybe we should change the name because, like, no, no, it seems fine, like Afro Calypso is more um, intuitive for people. You've been doing this thing for like two years, so just leave it. So yeah, but but but, but tell te- tell us what your your podcast is about. Yeah, so our podcast is um, initially when we started, we were gonna like just build a community basically for black, um, millenn- like black people of our age range thereabouts um, and just talk about things ranging from like history to like current like politics and then um, you know just general social issues in our society and um, then also add banter because we're all three hosts right now are Nigerian and like Nigerian people already our living situation is already really hard <laughs> so <laughs> I find that a lot of times when you add banter to like information so- soften them up exactly it's easier to consume I find yeah. so hmm. like you might listen to the podcast and sometimes we're talking about you know um who should pay for dinner or whatever um, on a first date. And then we have someone else that has traveled um, all around Nigeria and all around West Africa, Mm. talk about culture. And then we talk about, you know, history sometimes and stuff like that. So it really ranges, but the point is just to build a community of, um, of people in our age range. So like we haven't Mm. really, done much of that yet like integrated our listeners and like connected them and stuff like that but that yeah. is the goal for the podcast and we're two years in and you know wow, two years. still going yeah pros yeah. pros in the game i would say pros but <laughs> <laughs> well, for we try listen you, you guys should go check out the podcast and like mad stuff really mad you should stuff. 
fun and educative at the same time. So yeah, Matilda, your three books. What are your three books? Yes. Okay. So my three books are The Challenge for Africa by Wanguri Masai, Homegoing by Yagyasi. She's an, um, a Ghanaian author. And I Know Why Caged Birds Sing by Maya Angelou. Those are my three All right. books. So which one do you want to go with first? Sure. Yes, exactly. Wangari okay. Mathai. Yes. So I, I read this book about two years ago. Um, maybe two and a half years ago and really interesting fact, but it's one of the books that really got me upset about Africa and made me, um, really want to talk about like history because a lot of things I yeah. was reading was, um, very new to me, to be honest. I, hadn't heard a lot about like you know what had happened around um like our independence as different african nations and then um how it impacts today's world and like you know going back on it um right before we um when we decided to record this podcast i i started to understand why i was upset back then because a lot of us don't know about our history and it's so annoying that it actually affects us today, but then we weren't yeah. taught. Um, but yeah, um, the author, um, she's Kenyan and as she was Kenyan, she passed away in 2012, but, um, she was a social environmental and politi- political activist, a biological scientist by education, but then she was also the first East, um, African woman to, um, get a PhD. Which is you can tell she's Are you very serious? educated. First yes. East African woman to wow. Yes, to get a PhD. And she was also wow. a professor at like um University of Nairobi. So she she's smart. Let's just and get you that. For, you forgot you forgot to mention she's the first black woman to first African woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh yeah, she did. She did. I didn't yeah. know she was the first African woman actually. She's, she's the first she's the first African woman. She was she did quite a bit and like you can tell um she was also on in Kenya's parliament. Yeah, she was in Kenya's parliament. She did so much and when I look at women like her, I just get very like I need to start doing things in my life cuz <laughs> she she's very inspirational and just going on to the actual book, you can tell that she She's very holistic in her approach to the problems in um, Africa. Um, like if you listen, listen to a lot of things she was saying, there was always a backdrop of like, you know, the environment and, yeah, um, yeah. you know, um, desertification, climate change, she deforestation really in on, Africa. On, very on the environment. Mm. Yes, very heavy. She was the founder of um, the Green Belt Movement. Green so Belt, like yeah. um, it was a nonprofit organization that like helped people, you know, planting trees, environmental conservation and stuff like that so you could tell that she was very passionate about that which makes sense because she studied biological sciences right so that's her actual domain right Mm -hmm. but then what i found really interesting too is that she took a very in-depth analysis of why our leadership is the way it is and um, a lot of things. It's, it's like plain to see, but then it's, you know, like those things where it's like causation and mm-hmm. you don't really see it in the background, happening in the background, but then she brought it to light. And I mean, yeah. she doesn't have like all the answers because even she said like the reason our leadership is the way it is, is not quite simple, but she broke it down into like about three or four main things. Um, of course, our legacy of colonialism, yeah. um, and like how our governments were left after. And then she said the Cold War affected a lot yeah, of our I leadership. Yeah, I, I saw that too, and I was it was shocking. When it I was shocking, War, right? Like, it was really shocking. And and w- let let me say my own why why I like the book so much. Cause why do you it like was, the book? It was it was it was busting my head when I was reading at first when I was reading the introduction. Like what? Mm-hmm. Um. So. The the other books, not that I've read a lot of books on African problems and challenges here, yeah, but this one in particular was very honest. To me, it's like one of the most honest books that yeah. talks about the challenges. Like most books will always 
throw all the problems at the feet of colonialism. Oh, the colonial yes. masters did this. The, the colonizers did this. Although she did do that. Yeah, but but she said that though colonialism is a very huge, is an important reason why we are where we are. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it's not the only reason. And she mm-hmm. like brought out those other reasons and now expanded on them and said, okay, these things might be not far from home the problems like the 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 origination of the problems might not be far from home and we should look inward look at Mm -hmm. our culture look at um our leaders look Mm -hmm. at the way we treat environment and whatnot like it was very honest it was very like i never saw african challenges through that perspective through that perspective i think that's why it's a very refreshing book because you actually like we see the problems, we experience the problems being African, yeah. but I don't think we analyze it from the depth that she did. Cause, yeah. um, the exact quote she actually gave in the introduction of the, um, book was like she said, the challenges before Africa are not only from national and international politics, which we usually, um, like we usually claim that it is, but it, it is, yeah. they play an important part. But yeah. it's also moral, spiritual, cultural, and even psychological in, nat- in nature. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very apt, actually, very apt. So, like, she, she broke down the book in five, into five sections. Maybe we can just touch, touch them. Like, one For by sure. One, just talk. Yeah. The first is cultural and historical background of the challenges. Yeah. She talked on that. The second was economic, political, and international context and dimension of these challenges. Um, then the third is the challenge of leadership and good governance at the top of society as well as grassroots. So top, yeah. top to bottom. Oh, um, she's also fourth. one of, I'm so sorry, before you no, go no, ahead no, to the fourth, yeah. but she's also one of the people that made me realize that grassroots politics is very, very important because really important. I know around that time where everyone was um really like very um into the, politics going on in nigeria now that's kind of when i read the book um i think around when buhari was being elected was that then no that was 2015 i I guess the second election when buhari was running again that was last year yeah that was like last year but everything leading up to that um um the election a lot of people were paying so much attention on like the the um the seat of the presidency but then sorry sorry a slight segue sorry who did you who did you vote for i mean who did you support probably not in nigeria who did you support yeah so i was in nigeria um when i was in nigeria i was not of voting age but then um okay who did i support initially like the buhari no, the, and gej this, or no no, the no last this, one? This, this this last one Okay, so <laughs> thank God. <laughs> I know someone that um you know when the whole Buhari and GJ thing was going on. Yeah. Um I know someone that he shames everyone that voted Buhari, even though at that point in time all of us really just wanted change. Yeah, with that GJ Buhari one, yeah. Yeah, and it's just choosing between two evils because it's exactly. the same. <laughs> exactly, it's the same thing. <laughs> even with Atiku, for instance, we didn't have any guarantee that this man was going to be any good because yeah. he also has like you know corruption charges against him. I mean, he was mm-hmm. part of PDP. He was in the Obasanjo um, government administration. Yeah, exactly. And I mean. <laughs> He's also one of those old people that we're recycling again. What's the difference between him and Buhari, you know? But yeah. I think at that point, I was already disillusioned by Nigerian politics. So I wasn't, and also because I wasn't in Nigeria to vote as well, I knew that mm. it wouldn't really matter. So I wasn't really campaigning for either of them, but I knew I wanted Buhari out. And that's all I knew. But yeah, we here we some, are. Some very mad people that voted in Bo. Yeah. But that's by the way. Yeah, the, the so just the... Oh, okay, sorry. continue continue oh yeah no i was going along the line apart from the presidency like the importance of the grassroots um br- grassroots politics in nigeria which yeah. i feel like is very neglected like we always look to the um seat of, like we always look to who's the president and that's not really who's making all the change in nigeria as um mm. wangari mentions like the problem is in like 
ingrained in our culture and it starts from the grassroots so like when we pay so much attention to the president who a lot of times we can't even control because they're going to rig the things that are within our control like going for um you know um when the counselors or what do they call them they're they're counselors yeah like counselors exactly the local government level we're already neglecting that so how are we paying attention to the president when our senators are not even making laws that benefit us when um you you know the local government is not holding meetings that um where we get our like inputs heard like you know just those kind of things so Mm. i mean Mm. just her holistic approach to everything just really made me think about like where there's so many problems in Mm. the system apart from just the president but yes the fourth um, i think you've you've touched you've touched the third one you i think Mm -hmm. you've really explained the, the third one so the fourth is the complex and problematic relationship of ethnic identity to the nation state in modern africa and the fifth is the centrality of the environment to Africa's development challenges mm. and solutions to them. So, okay, let, let's let's talk about the first, the cultural, okay. historical background of the challenges. So, where do you think all of these shenanigans started from? At what point did it start? I know it's 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 um we all got our independence different times, yeah. Yes. But like almost the same period, the same decade, we all got our independence. Yeah. So like in the sixties thereabouts. Yeah, fifties, sixties. Because I know yeah. I think Ghana had like Ghana was nineteen fifty seven. Okay. Oh, it was six? I think seven, no, I don't know, but yeah. I know it was nineteen fifties. But yeah. um where do you think it all started from? Do you think it's deeper than than that? Do you think it was way before colonialism or after colonialism or during colonialism? Like where did it all start? Mm, I think it might be a little bit before colonialism, because I know even in the book, she talks about the fact that, um, so like there were lots of people that the, um, like the colonizing powers, like at that point, they might not have actually colonized Africa, but they were doing trade with them at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then a lot of them would come and speak to people in the society that don't necessarily have, um any power to make decisions but then they ignored the power structures that already existed and went through people who were as she said often outcasts and then usually elevated their places in society ignoring what the structures were already already in place exactly and then having gun power and everything they're able to like you know seize people's livestock not pay any attention to like what's going on just disrupt a lot of things and elevate some people in society that really weren't meant to be um and then those men kind of became the new elite um elite in nigeria in africa generally and it kind of fostered a a a like a place for oppression to be where leadership comes from okay okay yeah i think like, I, get, I get where you're coming from and because before it's like i believe that the african structures although the, a lot of them were very autocratic although like for instance i don't think the Igbo culture there was like kings or anything um but it was in favor of the actual indigens of the places but yeah. then when um those people came in and kind of made it a a a thing where leadership has to do with what you can get that kind of change that kind so, of change so, so, because so the, yeah. the the power imbalance the yeah the restructuring of the um of society of, of society at the point like led to was one of the factors of i think of so because problem. yeah because like the way that the leaders view themselves in Africa is not, I wouldn't say at large anyways, I'm generalizing, is not the way that I think in the West or other places, leadership views itself because they view themselves in the West and East, I believe, as like generally for the people, like they're actually there to help. Mm -hmm. To serve. (laughs) To serve, you know, but then our Nigerian 
I can speak specifically about Nigeria because I'm Nigerian, but then I feel like you see it at different points in, in different countries in Africa where they are, they're just there for their own benefits. They're not really there to serve. They're not held accountable and just those kind of things. So I think that was the root. But then if you also look at like at the point of um, when we were getting our independence, um, a lot of the people that became leaders were not necessarily, they didn't, I don't think they all had leadership qualities. They were just at, at the right place at the right time, like in the right place at the right time. They were just really good at kissing ass. (laughs) Yeah. One, they were good at kissing ass, but even like the people that might have fought for the independence and stuff like that, they not necessarily the like leader qualities, like yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe they were just, they were just there. Maybe yeah. they were just educated at that point in time. And yeah. there's also yeah. the fact that when um when these people left the colonizers, they obviously left people in power that um were there to serve them, not mm, the people. Not the people. Mm. Exactly, and that carries on. Like the people in power have basically, at large, generally continued their path. I don't yeah. like I don't know how to explain that. Like I feel like the government in Nigeria has been predetermined already. Like it's, it's not really the same, the same set of people. Same set of people. Exactly. Yeah. It's been like over half a century and like these men that were still alive at the beginning of like <laughs> Nigeria, basically still at Obasanja is still here. Buhari is still here. So we look in our history books and we still see these men here. And we might think, okay, let's look at the future. But then these people are godfathers. They have groomed their, the next generation the, the, the of next leaders generation. Yeah. with their ideology. So it's just like, I mean, where are we going here? I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, yeah. So I just feel beca- like, yeah. We can't, we can't go through all of them because of time, but. Of course. I would let me ask you one 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 small question. If yeah. if you're just all of a sudden found out you had the power to change things in Africa, <laughs> right? Or let's say God God gave you the power to change things in Africa, like three things. What are okay. the three things you think he would do that would change Africa for good? That's hard. <laughs> but um I find that I think that for me I'm more of a I, an analyzer of what the problems are than okay. um an actual um political like I would probably be more in like an activist side than like an actual like a president or like a political figure. Yeah, like so the end, I would the struggle end there. Exactly. I feel like that was my problem when um this guy was running for the the guy that owns Sahara. Um, sure. Yeah, when Shore and like the other guys were running, that was kind of my problem because it's like I feel like they have ideas, but that doesn't necessarily tra- transfer into politics. But politics, um, yeah. I guess I would um try to re-educate people to start with. I mean, and this might sound very like not that important. But mm-hmm. one of the things that Wagari in her book um very really harped on is that a lot of our problems are mental in that it's the way our culture is, the way we think about things. So if you're able mm-hmm. to educate people on one history to like how the different things are actually affecting them directly, because I feel like we see things and someone was telling me like a lot of people see um policies being passed and still support the people that pass the policy policies even though it directly affects them but they can't make that connection between um what is actually affecting them and like who they're voting for um but just generally re-educating people so that's one of the things i would um focus on re-education of people even like you know, the uneducated people in Nigeria, because we have a lot of like manpower, but they're not educated. They're not empowered. So like, Mm. that's one of the things I would focus on. Um, To a better management of our resources. 
Um, because I think that a lot of African countries have, um, a surplus of natural resources. Nigeria depends on crude oil, like largely, but then that's not sustainable, especially in a future where, um, we're moving away from, from crude oil. Fossil fuel, yeah. Um, but then if you, um, I think Buhari has tried this. <laughs> I, I'll give it, yeah, to dry, diversify the economy, but I think they're not doing it well enough. I think, um, there's still a lot of foreign countries that are like imperialism. Basically, they are still having like powers over powers, like what yeah. we yeah, do, yeah. um, and how we manage our resources. Um, I know you even work for like a Chinese company, for example, and you had talked about how they've basically dominated the telecommunication space in Nigeria. Um, That doesn't make so much sense to me because it's like, then if we're to make any decisions in regards to that sector, it would always like surround an external power would always have to exactly, say exactly, basically exactly. in what it is. So it's like, it's obviously there's an importance with working with other countries. It's a global economy now, but then um I still think that we need to take control of what is happening, like a better control. Um And it has to be a long-term solution. It can't be short-term because I know like yeah. even the things Buhari is doing, a lot of people are like, but we can't see, we can't see <laughs> the tangible results. What's the economy doing? I'm not a Buhari apologist, by the way, but, <laughs> but Thank like, God you I, cleared your name because yeah, I, was I, I know, <laughs> I know I was tending towards that side just now. I'm just <laughs> trying to say that I still think that people in Nigeria, and it makes sense because there's so much poverty. We don't mm-hmm. see the benefits in long-term solutions, but there has to be because those are the ones that are usually sustainable, not like these grand projects that Nigeria keeps doing and stealing money yeah. through. Um, what would the last thing be? <laughs> Revolution. I'm joking. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that's fine because because I was about to say my own answer, my own. My yes, I want to hear yours. Question. Mine, mine can be very, very radical. Okay. Very radical answers. Yeah. So if I want sudden change in the situation of things in, okay, let me say Nigeria, for example. Don't let me, um, say the whole of Africa. Um, this sounds really absurd, but first and foremost, I'll look for someone that really likes Nigeria, like wants to be a president leader because he wants the best for not, not for personal gain. Not for personal gain. It's easy yeah. to say, but it's very hard to find people that love Nigeria because it is their own. Do you get? But find that it, person that, that really loves the upliftment of, of this country. Yeah, the upliftment okay. of this country, right? Okay. So I'll give an example. An example is um Thomas Sankara. God bless his soul. Mm, God bless his soul. Yeah, and Paul Kagame is the recent example, the president of Rwanda. See, Rwanda is doing lots of Lots of great things, right? I'll put an asterisk there, but go on. Yeah. Still a dictator. See, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's where I'm going to. You can't do this thing for a long time, I mean, for a short time, without being... You can't be entirely democratic. Do you understand? Okay. So, an ex- another example is um, Le Kuan Yew. I, th- I think you know Le Kuan Yew. The, um, the, he's dead now. The mm-hmm. guy that, that um, reshaped Singapore from being his third world country to your first world country. He's like one of the greatest presidents in... History, yeah. So the guy was not entirely democratic. I think he led for about twenty or thirty years, right? So Mm -hmm. because we know, if if you want to be entirely democratic, the 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 problems you have in Nigeria cannot be solved in four eight years. It's not possible, right? You need continuation of your policies. And the thing is, when you are there, the powers that be will want to take you off. There's no way they want to take you off. And after eight years, you cannot contest again. The next person comes and scatters your policies and it's back to square one. Do you understand? So I think that's basically why Rwanda can walk or why Rwanda is walking at the moment or why Singapore walked. Do you get? Because I'm sure if Kagame left after eight years, Rwanda will not be where it is at the moment. But we know, we all know that Kagame is there for a reason. He's a dictator. Quite a yes. right, right? But 
he's there you can see the love of africa in this guy i see him arguing with other like all these western um western reporters and whatnot like you can see it's in his eyes the way he talks like this guy really loves africa do you understand so i think we need we need someone like that in in nigeria and that cannot be done in eight years so there is no way you have to be um authoritative right i had so much to say about um you know the leader of um rwanda but i think we should go forward kagame yeah yeah, yeah. okay I so have let, so, let's, so much to say. Let's go on. Let's go on. Uh, yeah, let, let's let's move to the second the second book. Yeah, yes. So my second book was um, "Home Going" by Yes. I don't think I'm pronouncing last name right. Um, it's Ghanaian, but um, it's just a collection of linked stories. Um, rather than like a whole book, it was kind of like a collection of. Um, short stories, but they were linked by the fact that, um, it was going through different generations of African, of like different descendants of two people. So, um, so it was about like different descendants, different stories like put together, different stories, bigger story. Exactly. But it was linked because there was still like a general theme. So, um, it's, it's a fiction, it's a fiction book. Yeah. Um, it starts with like, two sisters um i think one of them was left in a fire so like it's not like they knew each other or grew up with each other or anything but they they made it clear that they were sisters and one of them was taken up in the slave trade right and they described everything was very vivid like i think it follows like an actual timeline of what was happening to people but you know um those fictions that base themselves on real timelines but parallel to what was going on there but it's not necessarily a true story so it really described what the experience of someone that was taking up in the slave trade would be like and then it also um talked about people that stayed on the continent because the other sister stayed in the ashanti um, kingdom and everything and talked about what was going on in during colonization and everything so it kind of shows you the two sides of like the effects of the transatlantic i can't pronounce that word well transatlantic Uh, there it is i am never going to be able to pronounce it i've tried so hard i say that word too often to not know how to pronounce it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah just that um those effects and i think um we always see the issues as like separates. That's why the book really stood out to me because it kept jumping back and forth between the descendants of both lines and just mm-hmm. showing how generally black people have just been disserviced every, every which ways, like, you know, and it was, it was a lot like to take in, to be honest. Um, I really enjoyed the book and that's why I picked it and it made me upset. It made me also pay attention to the fact that we kind of all came from the same place even though very far back yeah but um we have a common i want to say enemy but like not (laughs) not enemy per se like we have a common oppressor kind of so although it's different like although it's our oppression takes different forms we can still see the root of them and like how we are both disserviced because I feel like there's usually a, a lot of times the conversation of who's more oppressed, um, black Americans or, or people that are descendants of slaves or people that stayed on the continents because it equally showed how our culture was lost over the years, even being colonizers and how we also didn't really have a say in what was going on, even on our own land. So yes, we ha- are more connected to our cult, um, like our ancestors or stuff like that. But then we are still lost people, even being on the continent. I say that very strongly, but then we're still identity wise kind of lost. So yeah. Um, do, do you think, um, the transatlantic trade, the slave transatlantic trade would have happened if we ourselves, like, um, Africans ourselves did not, we're not ready to sell ourselves to other people for money and items and other items? Um, I think that if you really think about what was going on at that time, um, 
you find that slave trade was already a thing, like internally between different tribes. Like yeah, it was it normal. Um, I think we were already even trading with um the Arabs and the stuff Arabs, like that. Yeah, that exactly. Far much and it, and further on, back, and it's still going on at the moment. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a lot of things are still going on. Let's be honest, but yeah. <laughs> um, I think because we were already trading in slaves. I don't think we understood the gravity of what was going on after they left the shores of Africa, because I feel like the um, the slave trade that the white people took part in was dehumanizing as compared to what we were used to. So it might not like there were places where like descendants of slaves could still have some rights that's within africa right those places are very few no but like they could still have rights like they were still humanized even if they were slaves i i I feel like that's my explanation i wasn't there and a lot of our history is told still through the colonial eye like we don't really have like documentation of all these things but then from my understanding anyways I don't think that we understood the gravity of what was happening to the slaves when they were taken up. And probably as of the time that we did realize, there was already a deep system of it already. So I think that no matter what had happened, we would have still been dealing slaves at that point in time. So I don't think there's really a question of trading in in people because we were already doing it. Yeah. Well, what I even think is, even if we knew, even if we realized that there were some some of our people, because we need to understand that, understand the very nature of human beings. Like we are greedy. Do you understand? Whoever will be greedy will be greedy. Whoever wants to make money wants to make money, regardless mm-hmm. of as as far as it's not affecting you. So, because there were lots of people that were taken out for 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 as slaves that came back. Example yeah. is a Jai Crowder. But regardless, those people would have obviously told stories and said, oh, they are treating us like shit over there. But they were still slave traders there in Nigeria. So regardless, even if people had come to say, brav, they are treating us like animals, people will still sell slaves. So it was like, shows the very nature of human beings. We are but Ajay Crowder again was much later into was slavery. Later. Exactly. Because yeah. I'm thinking more about the genesis of it. Like, okay. I feel like if we really understood to a deeper um, extent that we might not have been so willing, I think. But then again, the people that the slaves they were selling weren't initially anyways. I don't think they were actual indigents of the land. They were already like slaves or outcasts that they were giving off um, at the beginning. But then I think as the demand for slaves um, started getting higher, then they started yeah. giving even the common like people in um, in the land and stuff like that. But that's my understanding of it. I still, I maybe it's like wanting to believe that we would have had better morals. But I mean, that's just no, my thought. Yeah, that, I don't know. That, yeah, you're being optimistic. optimistic. I'm being optimistic because I like <laughs> yeah. my people. You know, I like to believe that my ancestors went all <laughs> bad. No, no, I just, they I, 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 yeah. I, mean, I feel like, I feel like then everybody, every race, every culture, we all they all acted barbaric. Almost every, not all, but almost every culture acted really barbaric. So like everybody's, everybody's a corporate of all this thing. Everybody. Yeah, I, I. I don't like the word barbaric being used in terms when referring to like you know African specifically. Um, cause no, no, I'm, not saying, like, I'm not saying African. No, I'm I know you like said everyone. Yeah, but I think that whatever was happening back then still exists right now. So I th- think instead of being like they were, I think we all still kind of have an element of it. It's and just we that, a, like, we have a long way to go in this country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a long way to go, but then a long way to go in this country. You can look at it as like as a result of things that already happened. It, it's not one hundred percent just because it's our nature. It's as a result of our specific history. I mean, we have a part to play. I'm not playing a blame game, um, blame mm-hmm. game, but then I still mm-hmm. think that. 
when we compare ourselves, for instance, with the West and we, we have like an inferiority complex, I think that we need to pay attention to how the West has affected us as well and not look at them as this like less barbaric people or whatever. They are, in my opinion, as barbaric as we are. But, um, I just think that because of our specific history, we are where we are and we are also mentally affected by these things. So I, I look at Nigeria as like we have a problem, but I think that we might be able to come out of it given time and the right leadership. I don't see it as an innate thing about us. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. 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 I, I don't see it as an innate thing also. It's not like an innate thing. I'm just yeah. saying I'm just saying that all the all the atrocities that happened then back then right is mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we are only like we are barbaric alone I'm not saying that the west are barbaric alone for taking part in slave trade and all that but I'm just saying overall cross culture yeah, at that time at that time so relatively compared to now we are much better mm, okay right? more, we are yeah. much yeah we are much better that's that's mm. that's fair that's fair I would check that book I haven't read the book at, at all you should but, but the when way you I w- explained it's like different different timelines packed yeah. into one book i think i'll have to check it out you really should are you into fiction yeah i like fiction yeah it's it's i would say like for me i don't generally like short stories um for instance like um chimamanda's um the thing around your neck when i read it like although the stories were very powerful I usually tend to want to connect with the characters over time. Yeah. And so it really sucks when I read a book and then it ends in like two seconds, you know. Um, but the good Wait, thing... How, how many days do you read? Your, sorry, how many days do you read a book? I think it depends on what's going on at that point in time. So like, I've never actually had the opportunity to read a book and have nothing else to do. So I really don't know how fast I would read the book or anything, but so what's the fastest you've read a book, like a three hundred page book? Page book, yeah. I'm a slow reader. I would say five days. Yes. Mm, fair enough. Fair enough. But I'm it's almost, like that. I'm also book. a slow reader too. So I thought yeah. you were going to say like one day. One day. Jesus, no. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, but I like, I like, for instance, when I read books, um, and I'm doing other things, like I like really digesting. Oh my gosh, this is happening in that person's life. So it's like, I'm, I've gone back into my real life, but then I'm still yeah. reflecting on what's going on. Reflecting but, same, same, same. Exactly. So if it's a short story, I, I, I haven't even gotten the chance to digest what's going on in the character's life before you jump mm-hmm. to a different story. But the nice thing about this one is like when you jump onto the next story, you're able to ponder this person's reality was affected by the other story I just read. Do you get what yeah. I mean? So mm-hmm. like it, you get to ponder down generations and see like what happened for this person to become who they are. And I think it makes for a, a very interesting thought process because we never see ourselves as products of things that have happened, but it, it the book allows you to really think about that. So, yeah, you should okay, really check okay. it out. I'll, I'll, I'll go check them. I'll go check them. I guess we're done. <laughs> yeah, you really should. So, so the third one, my Angelou. Yes. And it's called, I know why cage birds sing. Um, and I mean, my Angela is pretty popular. Um, yeah. she's, she was a poet and, um, like an activist and st- stuff like arise. that. Yeah. And like, I know why caged birds sing. Um, it's like an autobiography. Like I read somewhere that some people, she wrote like, I think seven, um, books on her actual life. But yeah. like, I know why caged birds sing is her, um, is her first one of all of them so it speaks from like you know her childhood to like when she was 17 um and she really dissected what was going on in the deep south as of like the point of segregation when she was growing up it wasn't like Mm. slavery per se but it was like segregation so So, like jim crow era exactly so like people was it the jim crow era i'm not quite sure i read this book a year ago i don't particularly Jim, i don't Jim particularly was, when was jim crow let me google this oh fun fact 
in Homegoing, they covered the Jim Crow um, era as well. Okay, it was part of the timeline. It was part of the timelines that they covered. Yeah, it was, it was, it was during the Jim Crow, because Jim Crow ended 1965. Okay. Here. Yeah. So it should be around Jim Crow era. Okay. Yeah, so she just talks about, like, um, you know, growing up and, like, segregation and, like, how um, Black people saw themselves at that point in time, which was, it's like, you're not in slavery, but it was still slavery, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Um, but, but what's interesting is, even in that point, she talks about her life and um, she was... Um, she was raped when she was very young by someone that her mom was seeing. And um the guy got killed, I believe. And then um she stopped talking because she had thought that it's because she talked that he died and stuff like it. She thought it was her fault. So she really st- stopped talking generally. And then um give me a second. I'm trying to remember this book. Because it's one of the ones that I didn't really cover. Um, so she started reading a lot. Yeah. So because she wasn't talking so much. Yes. Yeah, someone that she really looked up to at that point in time introduced yeah. her to reading. And she just started reading so much. And like the way she described reading and then being able to write. I think that the best writers are people that have consumed a lot of books yeah books themselves yeah 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 because i think the way she even was thinking or at least she described thinking at her young age just because of the amount of books that she had read right yeah was very very interesting to me i was like i definitely wasn't thinking like that at like 12 (laughs) like i was thinking but not like that and i think that even at that age Although I was reading, I feel like the books that Oshie. I was giving, Oshie, <laughs> that's me, <laughs> you know, that's how we do. But um, I was reading all these Nancy Drew, all these books for younger children. At, so, at Yeah, at that age. But then mm-hmm. I think that she was reading like Shakespeare and stuff like that at that point in time. And I was like, I see the importance of reading from very young and like, um, and exposing, not like raising children to do children things necessarily. Like they, you don't have to constrict them to things. Cause I feel like children are very, um, malleable yeah, and like they can I, take in much more than we give them. I feel yeah. I, that that's my goal. Like my, my kids, I have, they have to love to read. They have to love reading mm-hmm. from a very young age. I will be, bombarding their heads with books <laughs> but don't be like those nigerian parents that force no, no, kids no, no, even no, no. when they don't want to no i think this one is those, those ones they did not teach them early enough so that they would now enjoy reading it's no longer a chore mm-hmm. get to a point where they love to read they look forward to reading and they should see you reading too mm-hmm. so exactly yeah, my, my yeah. Love, when you lead as yeah. um by example eh? Make I get another Maya Angelou for my house. Exactly. Pro- <laughs> Project Maya Angelou. <laughs> Project Maya Angelou. <laughs> Seriously, because like the way she writes and everything is, she's really gifted. She was really gifted. Um, yeah. And I just look at her, like I put that book as one of my three because it kind of ties the importance of um, reading into everything although she covered so much she covered you know the um the mental slavery of people at that point in time even though they weren't like physically enslaved enslaved exactly but like the effects of slavery at that point in time but it also covered to me like what i really found intriguing about the book was the way she read and stuff like that even though there was so much going on in the background but like yeah and like the way she thought and the way she was kind of able to not really think like the people she was really surrounded by because she was able to delve into her books and everything so that was that's my third book i I found out four facts i found out that um the assassination of um there was the name of this guy kennedy no the activist um 
Martin Luther. Uh, Mar- Martin Luther, yeah. Yeah, the assassination played a very important role, like in in writing the book, because she was depressed. She and Martin Luther were like, "Geez." So yeah, I when, heard. When when he died, she was depressed for a while. Mm-hmm. Then I think James Baldwin. James Baldwin now told her, "Okay, whatever you're feeling, you can pour it out all out in, in a book, book. right on, yeah, right on all. So they convinced her, um, James Baldwin, Baldwin, and someone else like tried to convince her to write a book. Isn't it crazy that that is the same timeline? Because Maya it's was crazy. alive when. I was alive. Um, I mean, she died earlier on, but then she was alive when I was alive. And I think when yeah. we think about um, MLK, like we think like about it like ago. it was a while ago. But they were <laughs> parties, like they were friends. They were so geez, I yeah. She was part really of his movement. Yeah. Funny. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I think that's interesting because it was a biography. I wonder how that impacted her writing. Like I did see like the activism and everything she was saying, but um yeah. so, not so, so directly. The, biography, the autobiography was written the autobiography was written as fiction. So like that yes, was a yes. I forgot to mention the guy that published the book, she didn't want to publish the book. She wrote Okay. It. Or no, before sorry, before she wrote the book. Uh, when James Baldwin was like big, because you know James Baldwin is like it was a very big intellectual, so she still insisted on not writing. So the publisher now dared and told her that um, writing autobiography using fiction is not possible. So that's now made her angry. Like oh, so she took it up as a challenge to to do something like that, mm-hmm. to write autobiography as fiction, and she did. So that's I think that's why it's very intriguing too. It's not it's not like full blown autobiography. Exactly, it's, like it's not like people. Exactly, you're right. I never thought of it like that because when I was reading it, I was able to read it like um very smoothly because I I read fiction a lot. So yeah. um. But like when I've read, for instance, or tried to read Hillary Clinton's biographies, it's like it's always like I did this, I did, I did that, this, and I did it's that. like and then you okay. go lie, put life, small life, put life yeah. small in there. Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. writes as a fiction and stuff like that. So yeah, it was very interesting, an interesting way of writing a bio. But at what point, like she talked about um the rape, the yes. um segregation. Yes, I think. I think, and also the lack of um, parenting, like actual parenting from her, from her actual parents. I mean, yes, she was, she was, she was raised by which which her one? grandma, which by her grandma, and then later her parents now sprung up from nowhere when they were, I think, like fourteen or fifteen. Honestly, I found that really weird. I think that um, that's another effect of like slavery. I don't know. They say that it was. Like a destruction of like the nuclear family yeah. or whatever. No, I, I don't think so. You don't? That it affected I, that? I Not in her so. case though. But yeah, um, like over time. Over time. Cause, yeah, because a single parenthood in amongst black Americans about seventy one, seventy two percent. That's mm-hmm. a lot. That's a and lot. At the time, yeah, at um my Angelo's time, like the sixties, it was about twenty two percent. So it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't much. So like the difference isn't really about um slay. I think it's more of um the welfare system over time, like sixties, seventies. They started so many welfare systems for like just to try to alleviate poverty, and that's like spiral. Like there were so many effects, and um, the breakdown of the nuclear family was one of it. Even if many, some people do not of welfare um, systems. Yes, this guy wrote a very a good book on it. You know, Thomas Sowell. Yeah. What book is that? Um, something about race and discrimination. Okay. Race and dis- discrimination, I think. Yeah, I'll send it to you. So okay. he mentioned he mentioned that he mentioned um the welfare system as one of the major problem of the black community, especially the breakdown of the nuclear the nuclear family. Family. So, yeah, because he was like, if it was slavery that caused it, right? The all through early the early twentieth century, the nuclear family wouldn't shouldn't have been like as strong as and vibrant as it was, right? Then there was this sudden breakdown from like in like a decade, seventies to eighties, just broke down and was mm-hmm. reducing astronomically. 
So I think it's 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 different. It's not it's not slavery per se. Okay. It might have a part to play, but not it really might have slavery. a part. Yeah. yeah. Not not really slavery. Seventy one percent though. That's <laughs> yeah. Boston, that's like most that's people. Yes, exactly. And that's 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 a very very big challenge because there is a very high chance if you are if you grow up in a single in a single home. There is a high chance for you to not be as successful as someone that came out with. I mean, that grew up in a household that had two it's parents. Two household, yeah. yeah, yeah. It kind of makes sense. Even me thinking about growing up, and I ponder on this a lot. I'm like, if I had either par- either of my parents as just the only parent, I would have been hard. Th- really not hard. E- Maybe not even hard, but I would have been too skewed in one direction because good, like good, good. they, they bring two different things into the I, home. And exactly, it exactly. feels like the balance. I'm not saying I'm the perfect human being or anything, yeah, but, um, yeah. the balance that I think was needed because either extreme would be bad. And then also they're having to fend for you as well. They're having to provide and then just yeah. be everything in the home. So like, yeah, it's, it definitely affects the um the kids a lot, I would imagine. Yeah, so so the book the discriminate discrimination and disparities too. Okay. Maybe maybe I'll come back on the podcast after reading that and we can talk about it. No problem. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. I, I don't know if you would because a lot of um liberal um progressive black black people don't that i think that's why thomas hall isn't really celebrated like that oh they don't um they um, don't agree with agree with his opinion yeah yeah and thomas hall is like the greatest i think he is the greatest economist feel that he is right in what he's saying because he's he has most of his stuff backed with data most of the people that are opposing him don't have they don't come up with data this guy has lots of data with like to back up his argument. So I guess what you can do because data is just data. It it depends on how you interpret it, right? So like he might be interpreting it one way, but it's not necessarily the objective truth. But 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 data still points you still is still a more precise um pointer to objective truth. Yeah, I agree. I feel like what I would do in that kind of situation is read like diff, like books on different opinions. Like I feel like if there's an opinion that is generally not opposed, then I can take it for somewhat fact. But if it's so opposed, then read another book that claims to have facts. No, most as most well. economists, most economists, I think even all most economists agree with. With, with him um, with so he's, he's talking about this problem he's not talking about it through the cultural point of view he's talking about it through the the economic and political side of it do you yeah. understand so obviously as an economist he's going to come with lots and lots of data right because most of the people opposing him are always they're always like no you could they are reason for all these things happening is racism 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 and it's like okay yeah racism had a party play but let's really look at the data the data says otherwise so like just try to try, try to read the book maybe you can i will the podcast i will about it. i yeah. definitely will i mean if you really pay attention all my three books have something to do with um yeah, race yeah with race specifically black people and I don't know what happened where, but then I really am passionate about all things like black people, but specifically Africa. Um, so a lot Parks. of these <laughs> stuff. <laughs> what? <laughs> but like a lot of the books I read nowadays are geared towards that. And I, I think even you would start to realize as you read more about Africa that you're not just reading about Africa because a lot of things happen parallel to what's happening in Africa. So, mm-hmm. like, I feel like growing up, I always thought, okay, it was like colonization. These people came and then they left and then it was just us. Like, I used to look at Nigeria as like a country on its own, but then... I yeah, see, they're, they're see now. Traces, they see traces of colonialism. There's still traces, but then yeah. a lot of things that happen in different countries are very largely affected by um, 
all what what is going on around the world because again it's yeah, a global yeah. world now but it's kind yeah. of always been a global world but like maybe we didn't have like social media to make it more apparent but mm-hmm. then every time sometimes when i look at the history of africa and how it's very closely linked to something else happening outside africa i get yeah. really really surprised so it's yeah it's very interesting for me yeah that's good that's good i would really uh, okay do you know what after after this podcast i'll send you um links to so many videos check them out i them, definitely will digest digest them then come back again to do this. they will not talk uh-huh. thank you so much for taking out your time to do this with me i really really appreciate it thank you um this and fun. everyone listening, please subscribe to subscribe to this podcast and also subscribe to ours also the Africa Lip Show podcast. Hey, you check got out, it. Check out check out our content if you want more of this content. And um for listening, everyone, thank you and goodbye. Bye.